everyone, it's Bob McCraney with This Month in Realty, and I am super happy to have our group discussion. This is the last one we're going to do today. This is an amazing group of real estate agents who I'm so happy to be um, uh, coaching and, and working with, and I'm going to let them go around and introduce themselves, and then we're going to dive into some topics about real estate. So I'm going to start with Jeannie. Well, good afternoon, everybody. And obviously, you saved the best group for last, Bob. So thank you. <laughs> My name is Jeannie Anderson. I've been a San Francisco real estate agent since 1980. So I'm into my 42nd year. And needless to say, I am still in love with what I do. It gets me out of bed every day. I was at Mason McDuffie for years. Then I was at Pacific Union for many, many years. And then Compass bought Pacific Union. I moved to Lawn Pinnell, which was a very prestigious, very large family owned company here in the Bay Area. Compass in turn bought Alon Pinnell. And then I moved to another office of Alon Pinnell and then Compass took them over too. So I, after being in one office for 35 years, one company, all of a sudden I've had major, major changes through the last few years. So it's been a little tough. That's what prompted me to- Could you come work for me so Compass will buy me? What's that? Would you come work for me and then Compass will buy me? That'll be great. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, wherever it's, you are is where they buy. It follows me everywhere. But I'm just, um, yeah, so business is great. It took, after all those changes, I was very, um, I was sort of depressed. I was kind of lost in the market. Uh, when I left Pacific Union, they just basically destroyed all my beta, database and all my old contacts. So it's been, it's been the last few years have been a bit of a struggle. It feels like as a new agent starting all over again, Compass tools are very challenging for me as I've never been a real techie type person. And so um, I just kind of about a year ago, last August, I threw my hands up in the air and said, you know, pity party's over, stop whining, and let's get to work and start taking care of our clients, like do what we really do best. So since then, my business has skyrocketed. I uh, joined the 6 a.m. group. So we're up at, I'm up at 5.15 Monday through Friday. I am having I, a really, really great year. Last year was great. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in a good space and I'm just a happy camper. And I love coaching with Bob. And, and he's kicked my ass numerous times when I don't do what I say I'm going to do, but that's okay. Cause I still get my job done. So. Okay, great. Nice to meet all of you. Amelda, you're up next. I'm next. Okay. Well, buenas tardes a todos. I'm Imelda Monzo. I'm out in California. I am a broker owner of Premier One Realtors. I have been doing real estate since 2004 and I'm excited to be here with you guys. And I'm excited to be here with our amazing coach, who I know is probably a little mad at me because I didn't show up to my last call, but I have a lot going on. I'm dealing with a lot of mold in my house, so hopefully you guys don't hear the fans in the background. If you guys <laughs> can hear those fans, I have fans. They're going to redo my whole downstairs because apparently I have a mold problem. So I've been dealing with that, but oh I'm excited gosh. to be here. And again, I work the Riverside County area in California. Okay, Jeff. Yeah, nice to meet all of you today. I'm excited to be here. Uh, Jeff Poost up in Olympia, Washington. Uh, in the Northwest, we got a gray, semi-rainy day today. So if you've heard about that up in the Northwest, it's partially true today anyway. Um, 
been in real estate a fairly long time, since 1986, actually. And I started out on the lending, in the lending world at that time, did mortgage loans and moved into appraisal. And in about 1990, came into real estate sales. Um, I'm the broker owner of Van Dorm Realty and second generation. So my folks started the company in 1980. It, for the first dozen or so years that I actually worked here, I was a, just a salesperson and actually sold. And in the early 2000s, transitioned into uh, management, oversight, and ownership at some point. Um, it's been a wild ride, ups and downs over those years. And right now is really wild, probably one of the wildest times in real estate I've ever ever experienced. Um, not Not... I can't complain about the volume, but it is a challenging market. So, how many brokers work for you? Oh, uh, about 120. Got about 120 cool. brokers. Yep. Cool. Okay, Kirsten. My name is Kirsten Chollers, and I am with Sotheby's International Realty. I um, cover Reno, um, actually, I cover Northern Nevada, which is Reno and Lake Tahoe, so the Nevada side of the lake. Um, so pretty fortunate and blessed to have Lake Tahoe in our backyard, just 20 minutes up the hill from us. So that's really nice. Um, and I originally was in development and assisted living that transitioned into um, the secondary market about five years ago. And so now development is on the back burner. And um, I'm loving it, what I do every day. Of course, you know, I love people and helping, you know, clients. Um, I do a lot in our community and um, yeah, so I'm happy to be here. Happy to meet all you guys. Okay, great. Nick. Hey guys, I'm Nick Herzog um, from Shreveport, Bossier City. I'm sure you guys know in Louisiana. I, don't know, I know you guys probably know where New Orleans and Baton Rouge is, but we're in the real tiny little city in the Northwest Louisiana, uh, about 30 minutes from Arkansas, 30 minutes from um, the Texas line, three hours from Dallas. Um, been in real estate six years. Uh, coach Bob is my coach. Uh, I have a team of six and uh, I'm happy to be here today. Okay, so I'm going to start with a question that I haven't used all day today. Do you feel realtors need to be volunteers and good stewards of the community to be successful? And I brought that question because Kirsten just said something that brought me to it, but do you feel like a good real estate agent should be a good steward of the community? Or can you just go sell houses and be done? Well, I can address that. I think that, um, I don't know if all of you are involved in your community. I've I'm been involved in our industry since the about 85. I got involved with Women's Council of Realtors and this is all volunteer work it's all part of um growing up in our industry i think but i was i've been president with women's council um i've been a car director our state director since 1990 i've been a nar director i was an nar director for six years and to me and i've been involved on our local association since 1983 and I'm past president of our local board. So at times when I was at NAR, I felt that my service could be better used on a local level. And so instead of volunteering in the 
in the community per se. Uh, I always felt that it, it served better time-wise to be involved in the industry. And that also, since I started when I was really young, it really helped with my business. It helped with a lot of referral business. But that being said, um, when I moved to Arinda, because I have two offices, one in San Francisco, one in Arinda. When I moved to Arinda, my husband and I opened an antique store in Arinda. We had one in San Francisco retail for 10 years and the lease was up. So we opened in Arinda, which is a very small community. It's about 12,000 people. And we got real involved with the community, you know, chamber of commerce, um, you know, volunteering, doing a lot of things locally and being new in the area as neighbors, I think it was great to help get the name out and, and to be able to meet people. But I know a lot of agents in the areas that I work in do lots of volunteer work. They serve on boards. They're very active with chari charitable organizations. And to me, I feel that I've done pretty much the same thing, but given back to our industry. And that is my community, is our real estate. Good answer. Good answer. Who else? I also get very involved with, well, with NAREP, you know, Bob, I'm I'm very involved, but I know one of the challenges sometimes that when you do a lot of volunteer work, they ask you to do more, to do more. So sometimes that could sidetrack you from your business. Why don't you um, tell people before you, what, what, tell people what NAREP is, so if anybody watching this doesn't understand. Okay, so NAREP is the largest um, business organization. It's a National Association of Hispanic Real Estate Professionals. We have 100 chapters across the country and like 40,000 members. Um, so I've had the honor to serve as secretary, then they pushed me to president, and I was the emeritus director, and I'm a certified trainer for their Hispanic Wealth Project, and now I'm doing stuff for the National Advocacy Committee. So I started at the local, but now I'm doing stuff at the national, so I told Bob, okay, I really like NAREP, and it has given me tons of business. I mean, I, I was just at a panel uh, last week in San Diego, and I, I, got, I got a referral <laughs> on the spot. So it has given me a lot of business, but just the only thing... Um, and it's good to be involved in the community. I do stuff with charities and stuff at the local level, but sometimes it just, it can, it's sometimes for me, I mean, at least speaking for myself, sometimes it's hard to say no. And, and then I'm all overwhelmed and I'm like, oh, I'm behind on this. So I, you just have to be careful with that. But um, I mean, there's nothing wrong if you really know how to control Time it. Time right? management. Time management. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, I hardly get any sleep now. I'm lucky if I get like five hours of sleep a day because I'm always like, oh my God, I gotta do this, I gotta do that. So, um, but I mean, I've learned a lot and it yeah. has helped me grow, not just personally, but professionally. But, you know, I'm doing stuff sometimes that I'm like, oh my God, I, I never thought I would get to be doing that. I'm supposed to be selling real estate, not meeting with the U.S. Senator Alex Padilla and, you know, all these elected officials going to city council meetings. I mean, I'm learning a lot. Um, people know me in my community because they see me everywhere, but, um, Time management, Bob. Yeah, time management. Next. I'll, I'll add to that too. I, I think, I don't think brokers need to participate in the community to be successful, but why the heck would you not? I mean, Good answer. when you, I mean, we're in a people business and the more people we know, the more successful we can be. But to kind of clarify it further, I don't think when you participate and, and you support your community unless you have passion for it i i don't think 
that those you come in contact will really buy off on it. So it has to be whatever you're involved in, you have to have a passion for, and you have to really, you know, be engaged for that reason, not just for sales reasons. And, uh, you know, people will see through that. So, and I, and I looking at it from a high, higher level with so many new brokers and young brokers and so many in my office, um, people that are just starting out that are engaged, you know, for personal reasons, Mm -hmm. you know, they seem to start out a lot faster. They have those connections and they get to know people and they already have built up that trust because they're working with someone that, you know, in a project or, or something that they get similar, you know, like for. So it just makes starting out a whole lot easier. Okay. I agree. Yeah. Um, one thing it did for me too, was that it puts you in front of different people than what you're normally exposed to. Mm-hmm. So I think that that, you know, helps build your business tremendously. Yeah. Um, I don't think you, I'm like Jeff, I don't think, you, you know, you have to, but like he said, why wouldn't you, you know, it just makes you feel good, right? Just giving back to the community and just kind of getting in there getting your hands dirty and just, um, and it gets you out there. And, you know, I, I know, I'm sure you guys are the same as me. You're always like, go, 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 right? Real estate wise. So it kind of just feels good just to go out there and give back and just really not worry about real estate and just kind of do something good for the community and just have, have fun doing it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. So what's one thing you wish somebody had shaken you up and said, this is something you wish you'd known when you got into real estate that you know now and you'd be like, oh my gosh, if I'd only known this. Join coaching sooner. <laughs> Actually, I, I agree with that. There's a lot of proof to that. It really is. Yeah. I, the accountability is, is in the coaching. Yeah. I wish I would have started sooner too. Sooner and yes. in the coaching for me. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I wish I started this a long time ago. <laughs> right. That wasn't the answer I was necessarily trying to get out of it all. Uh, uh, I wish I had known. For me, it's about the journey because I had been told when I got into real estate, get your GRI. It'll make you successful. Then get your CRS because CRS, only 3% of people get your CRS. Your phone will ring off the hook. Put an ad in this paper, your phone will ring off the hook. I'm always going for the next merit badge. And what I always thought was people were telling me, if you get to this rung of the ladder, you're safe. And what's made me safe is I keep going for the next rung of the ladder. And I wish I, I, I don't know why my expectation was that once I got that merit badge, I'm good. And what I did was looked around and went, oh, shit, I got to climb some more. And it's the constant climb that kept me safe, not the achieving of the merit badge. Yeah. And so I think just having that open growth, you know, sort of mindset has really kind of kept my business going. So, and yes, coaching is part of that, but it's, it's that always looking for the next thing for me. So you have your GRI and your CRS box, because that's what they yeah. told me too. I only got the GRI though, but I, and right away I went for it. I had GRI, CRS, green, and a home with diversity. And after that, it was like, I knew that NER was selling me letters after my name and okay, we're good. So, so, so next question would be something on, on this level. Do you think the bar of getting into real estate is too low? Yes. Yes. The requirements are definitely way too low. I just made that statement two days ago to somebody about, you know, it's like, it's like, oh, you, you have a license to drive. Well, I guess you can have a license for real estate too. <laughs> There's so many people in California that have one. I mean, it used to be a joke 
that, you know, if you got pulled over that the cop would ask for your real estate license before he ever asked for your driver's license because everybody had a real estate license. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's bad, but I think I, from being involved in the industry, we've tried to raise the bar over and over and over and over again. This has been a topic of discussion since the day one I got in real estate. Um, I, it's just, I think we have done better with our image and I think we have raised the bar and I think we have a lot of room for improvement. But I can honestly say in the, I probably the last 12, 15 years, I think we've done a pretty good job of raising the level of uh, professionalism in our industry. And the other thing is that um, going back to education and learning and getting those letters after your name, when I, when I started, it was like, yes, I agree. You had to have your GRI. But I think just as far as being part of the human race, not so much being involved in real estate, if you find yourself improving daily and yearly, and, and to me, I, I make the comment all the time, you know, if I quit learning or don't want to keep learning, I might as well be dead because it's yeah. like, what's the point of living if you're not out there experiencing, if you're not growing? And so ever since I started, I used to take two we didn't have coaching like we have now back then. I mean, there was no, there was no coaching. There was no nothing. I mean, you know, staging didn't come along till later and Barb Schwartz started teaching um, and coaching, but she was basically coaching when she came up with the whole staging thing. And that was around the mid eighties, I guess. And we had Tom Hopkins come on board around maybe 83, 84. I'd say he was the first kind of guru out there selling real estate. And it, I mean, you'd go to these, these rah-rah meetings and it was corny as all get out, but a lot of times, I mean, corny sells. And so we'd all be there and you leave and you go rah, rah, rah. I think part of the problem, and this is indicative of our, his, of our industry is that we, everybody goes to these things and we get all these great tools, but do we implement our tools? Do we use our tools? And it's just like coaching. I mean, we have these great tools. It's like you're, you're saying, do something like this. It's so simple. But do we do it? Well, you know me. I'm, I'm out there trying, but I don't always do it. But, you know, sometimes life gets in the way. And, yeah. and other times we just need that swift kick in the rear end to get it going forward. Anyone else? It's going to say, I, I totally agree with that, where the industry has come from when I've gotten into it till now, it, the bar is a lot higher. I mean, back then it was, didn't need hardly any education under your belt to get in and your renewals, you hardly needed anything. Now you need a lot more, but I think there's still a ways to go. I don't know what the requirement should be necessarily, but it's just way too easy. You, you're, you're dealing with somebody's the most important thing they're ever going to do in their life and you just get licensed and there's so much to this business you know title problems lending issues um you know guiding somebody through that and you you know how do you what should the requirement be i guess is probably more than the question but um yeah some type of an apprenticeship i don't know yeah anyone else the gap seems to be getting bigger too when it comes to, you know, what is the 80 20 rule? 80% of the business or 20% of the agents are doing 80% of the, the business. So it kind of seems like the gap's getting bigger, you know, smaller too, where there's not 
there's a lot of agents, but only a small percentage of them are doing a lot of business, which is kind of interesting to me because is that is that because these some of these people are part time or are they not educated? Do they not know how to do business? Is it, you know, what, you know what's the? And for those of us who run brokerages and teams, I think we can look at our brokerage or our team and split it into thirds. One third is brand new and just getting started. One third is banging it out, and one third is looking at their navel, wondering what the hell they're doing. Mm -hmm. And if you have, if you can break that one third dichotomy out then you can, you, if you can get like two, two thirds of them actually working, that's an amazing team. But it, there's always that, that weird sort of structure, no matter what the size. Kirsten, we didn't let you talk on that one. No, I mean, I agree with everything that's been said. I mean, I, I transitioned from the development world into, you know, the real estate world. And um, I have a background in assisted living and I deal with taking care of people's lives and, um, you know, the training for real estate, I thought was, um, very minimal. The mm -hmm. test was very, very difficult. I thought, and, you know, it didn't correlate. And then I just have to get to compare it to taking care of people's lives and testing for an administrator's license in California and Nevada you know, which I thought was kind of minimal too. So I don't know, but that's how I gauge it. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. So one thing I'm getting feedback on, and I put a big post about this today is, do you find in your market that people who get lending from a local lender are taken more seriously as an offer than people who get lending from a major bank? Are you, see, are you seeing that local lenders, if you have an offer with a local lender that everybody in the community knows, is that offer going to be treated better than an offer that comes with a, a, a letter from Bank of America or, or Chase or Wells? I think overall, yes. Um, local lenders have more skin in the game, so to speak. If, if uh, they let you down, then the whole local industry knows about it. Whereas mm -hmm. a national lender, sometimes you you don't know who you're talking to, where they're at. They don't know our local market, the local appraisers. They don't know a lot of that stuff. And it's almost like they throw it up in the wall. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But a local person has, you know, again, that reputation to protect. Um, I think if you're evaluating offers, it is one of the checkboxes you look for. Is this somebody I know and trust? And if it is, yes, it's a plus. And if it's not, then then, you know, how does it stack up against the other offers in this competitive environment we're in for buyers? So absolutely it does. I have a quick question. Do appraisers have to be licensed in every state now? In Texas, they do. Up here in Washington, yes. Yeah. Louisiana, Nevada. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because for years, you know, appraisers weren't licensed and they had their, they were, they were running their own show. Yeah, if they didn't, appraisers didn't get licensed until around, I want to say 93, 92 or 94. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. So, I, for instance, my girlfriend had her own appraisal company. And when she got really busy, I did a, appraising for her. I, I know the forms, the forms, they just recently changed all the appraisal forms, but they had the same forms for like the last 50 years. And so I knew the forms, I knew what the appraisers looked for, I know how to fill them out. I took six of the eight appraisal classes 
but I realized I didn't really, it didn't matter because I don't want to be an appraiser. An appraiser looks at the property entirely different than yeah. from a sales perspective. But, um, you know, a couple of years ago when they plunked in the, the you know, the middleman and, you, and the lenders and the appraisers couldn't talk to each other, um, right. you know, for about two years there, that created a lot of disruption in the industry, at least for the state of California. That was one of our big topics of discussion at our state meetings. And then, you know, things kind of settled down and then they started putting some guidelines out there that, you know, the appraisers have to have to know their market. They need to know what they're doing and not just jump into something because it's there. So I, I to me, it's like they're, you know, the big banks have their own in-house appraisers. They always have, um, you know, when they get really busy, they usually go to outside uh, their doors to another um you know, a regular a fee appraiser, but the local, the smaller banks reach out to someone locally. And so to me, it, it's not so much the lender I was always concerned about if you're able to reach out and, and have a direct conversation with the loan agent. That, but um, it, it doesn't matter. I just had a guy in New York City do a loan for one of my clients at Chase. And my first thought I had to say was, I, yeah, yeah. And it yeah. turned out this guy was yeah. fabulous. I mean, fabulous. And I'm, I'm already sending him a buyer because he did that good a job. And if you would ask me in, you know, before the last three months about sending a buyer to Chase, I would have said, hell no. <laughs> so it depends on the individual. It's probably just like our business. If you think about it, you mm -hmm. know, it's based on the individual. You've got good people and bad people. Cool. Anyone else? It's location, location based. I know, like, if you, if, like, if we get an offer, it says Rocket Mortgage. I mean, it's just like throw it away, but maybe Rocket Mortgage is really good in California. You know, they I, are. I, yeah. They're so, huge. Right. They're huge there. So we get a Rocket Mortgage, and I'm just like, well, all they've, all they've done is put their, look up their credit score and they're approved. Cause every time I get a Rocket Mortgage, I get, do we get down a week before closing and, and, you know, they're just qualifying, you know, magically. And so I think it's, I think it's town based, it's city based. Um, yeah. I think, you know, I think we all have our, when we get those lenders, you know, pre-approvals, we, you know, those bad ones, we cringe our teeth. We're like, oh no, this is never going to go through, you know? So I, I think it's, I think it's uh, probably city to city, town to town. I know at least where I'm at. Okay. So if somebody is moving from your city, one of the reasons we're doing this is networking. So there's somebody's moving from Tahoe to Olympia. We know people, you know, we, we're referral magnets. We work, we work together and stuff. If somebody's moving to your town, Let's say I'm moving from Dallas and I'm moving to your town. What's something that I would need to know or something that would kind of surprise me about your area? Start with Kirsten. Um, what would surprise you? Um, I mean, I would have to say that we have all the seasons here. We're pretty outdoor based, um, you know, so lots of hiking, biking trails. I mean, we've got year round sports as far as skiing, water skiing, snow skiing, that kind of stuff. So it's a very, very outdoor based. So I would probably want to, you know, describe more of the lifestyle here, make sure that that's, you know, what you're looking for and what you're anticipating. A I lot like of people that. get confused between Vegas and Reno. We're very, very different. You know, I mean, we've got a startup, you know, companies coming here. We're touted as the next Silicon Valley, that kind of stuff. I mean, we're not gaming and casinos, which people think we are. So um, definitely to clarify that. Interesting. Okay. 
-hmm. What about Shreveport? Speaking of gaming and casinos. Yeah, we do have some casinos. I, I don't know. I think about our town. I, I would, I think Kristen actually stole my answer. I was going to say we're kind of like the outdoor state. You know, uh, there's, I mean, tons of lakes, tons of fishing. Uh, what are people, I think there's alligators here. I mean, I'm originally from Indiana. We don't have those, so you're good. We don't have alligators. Yeah, we have some alligators. Uh, I don't know. And so, yeah, I would say an outdoor state if you're a big fisherman or hunter. I mean, Louisiana's, you know, uh, there's a, tons of lakes and uh, woods, uh, you know, to, to go out and fish and hunt so okay come to marietta bob we have more stuff over here we're only an hour away from the beach an hour away from the mountains an hour away from the desert we have beautiful weather we have casinos and the best part we have wine country so you could go wine tasting every damn day luke our prices might be different than texas though for home yeah. prices well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to visit for a while. We'll see what happens. <laughs> what about Olympia? You know, I think people would really be shocked to know that it doesn't rain all the time in the Northwest. It, 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 uh, when you're up here and you're in the summer, I don't think there's a better place in the world to be. It, it, we, we don't get that extreme hot, hot, hot 90, 100 degree days. Yeah. But in winter months, we don't, get a, we don't get snow and that kind of stuff either. We're really pretty mild. Um, and in Olympia too, it's it's really central to big city in Seattle, Portland to the south. You can hit Canada in a few hours. Uh, you got skiing a few hour an hour away. You got the ocean an hour away. Uh, lots of outdoors and and uh, Olympia is kind of surrounded by water almost. The uh, the ocean pours into what they call Puget Sound. So you got water. You can get a boat right in downtown Olympia and then work your way out to the ocean if you wanted to. So. Um, it's really just a great, beautiful place to be. Okay. And I'll leave my heart in San Francisco. Tell me what I don't know about San Francisco. Oh, God. Well, you know, I, I, all I can say about San Francisco right now is the market's about as crazy as it can be. Um, you know, I, that, there was a house across the street from a property I'm bringing on the market that just sold a million to over the asking price of one five. Oh. So that that just if that doesn't ever just make you want to cringe, I don't know what does um, as far as a buyer or seller's agent. But uh, the pricing is through the roof. I don't see it slowing down. I don't see it changing so much. There's so much money out here in the Bay Area. So much money, and and continuously, people are like, "Who's buying these properties? Who can afford these properties?" When you have these kids show up. And when I say kids, I'm talking about, you know, 25 to 35 to me, their kids, they show up. Yeah, I, I see their bank statements. I mean, they got millions and millions of dollars on these bank statements. And, and it's more than I could ever fathom making in a lifetime. And it, it just never ceases to amaze me. And so that's San Francisco proper. Um, and then where my other office is over in Arenda, we're 12 miles due east. It's a whole different market. It's um, the schools. We have schools that are ranked very high nationwide and the education and the schools drive the market for families. So San Francisco, you've got a couple, they have baby one, almost always they're fleeing the city and they come out to either Marin County or over to Contra Costa County. They really want urban. They'll go Oakland, Berkeley, which is just right across the Bay Bridge. 
um, or down to the peninsula, which heads you towards Silicon Valley, which is extremely, that's, you know, that's as expensive and part of the Bay Area. That's what's driving our prices. So as far as something exciting about San Francisco, um, there's always something to do. They're working real hard to clean up the homeless mess. It's, it's tragic. It's, it's, um, it's just awful. The city's filthy and our tourism business is way down. But in the last week, I was kind of looking around laughing because there's out-of-state license plates all over the place. So the tourists are coming back and there's just always this demand, I think, for San Francisco. You're seven by seven miles on this peninsula tip and, and we can only go up and that's it. Yeah. Okay, so that we'll wrap up with this last question. You kind of touched on it. What does your town need to do better so that your town is better off in the future? For us, I've been saying all day, Dallas-Fort Worth needs mass transit that's reliable and safe. We are a city built on highways and tollways and the tollways came in because our government loves the tollway companies and I'm sure somebody's making something on the back end for putting in. So we're paying fees in taxes and fees and taxes just to drive. We don't have a reliable and safe train system. And I think it would transform the city to get one. What do you think your cities need for the future? You're suddenly the mayor of Tahoe. What, do, what does the mayor want? Our, our biggest issue here is going to be the um, infrastructure and if we can handle long term this influx of people coming into the city to Reno. Um, you know, Tahoe's a completely different beast than Reno, but just what we've seen in the last, you know, couple of years, Reno is going to be built out completely by 2027. So that's going to be, there's going to be no more land here. So we're going to go vertical. And so hopefully the infrastructure you know, can handle it and they plan accordingly and plan smart. Okay. Hmm. Who's next? I can address some of that. Um, so it's interesting what you're talking about because we have Bay Area Rapid Transit, BART, our whole BART system, which goes all over the Bay Area. And um, right now it's hardly being used yeah. and it's there. but. I, everybody's still concerned after COVID. Uh, there was a lot of violence, right? A couple a year before COVID hit, there was a lot of attacks. People were being attacked in the public transportation systems. Um, San Francisco uh, Muni bus, uh, they just broke the ribbon, snapped open that ribbon on um, what started out as 1.75 billion and became a three and a half billion dollar renovation on uh i think it's like five miles of track and <laughs> so to the math it's a lot of billions per mile but um you know i think that that in this day and age everywhere that's in an urban area you're looking at at the uh transportation and the infrastructure like what you're saying kirsten um you know california and Imelda knows this too because i'm sure you're feeling the pinch you know we have severe drought we, we have water rationing um you can't have green lawns anymore because you just can't you're everybody's looking at how to have drought proof landscaping you want to keep your property nice you still want to have your gorgeous rose bushes but they're all dead I mean, it's just, it's things like that. And, and um, you know, 
Los Angeles saw and San Francisco both saw a huge, a huge number of people leaving the cities. And some are still in California. A lot of them have gone to other states, just in, I think in search of a better quality of life. Yeah. But they're still coming in here too. So yeah. I guess this is where the money's at. Who's next? I'll take on Olympia here. Um, and I hate to be even bringing this up because Olympia has so much to offer in terms of positives, you know, the environment, the scenery, the, the sheer beauty of it here, colleges, uh, you know, medical, everything is here that a person would need. We're not large enough to really worry about a mass transit system so much. Uh, we do have, you know, busing and things, but we're too small for rail and that kind of stuff. But one thing that is probably if I were the mayor that I would tackle would be the homeless issue. You know, it's really a, it's really an issue here. We are the capital city of the state of Washington and pretty much right underneath the governor's house is, you know, a lake called capital Lake. And uh, you know, there's homeless encampments around that Lake and they're, they've been making progress in recent months to, you know, find places for those folks to go and to kind of clean things up a bit. Um, but that is an area that does need to be improved because you can see the, despite the sheer beauty of our area here, you know, when you go up and down the freeway or on yeah. certain roads, you, it doesn't look so pretty. And, and it's a combination of affordable housing and mental health. Yeah, really yeah, 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 all of those issues. And it's a very, you know, I don't, I wouldn't even begin to know how to fix it, but um it's an important issue okay who else yes for us it's kind of that too um our highways and the homelessness issue when i first moved to marietta like i didn't even know where marietta was because i originally i grew up in orange county so they told me go to marietta or temecula and i remember when i moved here i i would drive on that 15 freeway and it was like dead there was no cars on the freeway and I would like literally just fly. I'm like, oh my God, this is like a dead town. Where am I moving to? There was only like 10,000 um, occupants in the city. And now it's, it's grown so much. And now getting on that 15 freeway or the 91 freeway, it's like, it's a nightmare. Whether you're going, you know, to Orange County or San Diego County, it's become a big problem. I know it's been addressed a lot at the city council meetings and they're working on it, but they, the last update we got, they're looking at like a 20 year going to take about 20 years for them to fix that issue because it's getting really bad so um that in the homelessness issue we, we didn't have that and now they're like everywhere so that's that's something that needs to be um definitely yeah. taken care of but you know i agree with what bob said it's it's a mental health issue and i feel like after covid you know things got worse right and everywhere but it's it's really sad okay shreveport take us home well, it's not good. Shreveport is like, I was just Googling it while you guys are talking. Shreveport is the fourth slowest growing city in America. <laughs> and so we need growth. Um, our two, my two biggest markets, Shreveport and Bossier City, Louisiana, which is separated by the Red River. Um, Bossier City is growing, medium, you know, housing prices, you know, 220000 while Shreveport's way less. We, we just don't have jobs. You know, the Shreveport government is just, you know, has not done a good job of bringing, you know, kind of like in your guys' cities, you know, like the Apples, the Gateways, the, the you know, the Amazons, the big companies to, to provide growth and jobs 
which then provides more housing, you know, and it's really good for everybody. And they just haven't done that. We had GM here for about 10 years and they just packed up and left, you know, maybe, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. And so uh, growth, you know, we just, you know, it's so funny, you know, the last two years, the housing market obviously has gone up in appreciation. We're typically in a flat market. Like if we see one to 2% um, right. in our market for, you know, usually I'm walking in people's houses and I'm saying, you know, you know, look, um, have you paid, how long have you lived here? Have you paid down the mortgage enough to pay the, the real estate fees and closing costs? Because we just don't have a much appreciation here, you know, in our housing. You know, people from Dallas are coming over and buying, you know, we still have $30,000, $40,000 houses, you know, in the low income communities. So investors are coming over here, like, you know, thinking that like they're getting rich, you know, but they're just, but those houses will never, they never appreciate. You can always buy them and sell them for the same price. And so, uh, so Shreveport, we need to grow. <laughs> Okay. Well, I'm going to get in the car and drive over there and buy some houses. Shocking. That is shocking. Everybody yeah. meet me at the airport. Let's go buy some houses from Nick. So what is what is a house rent for? Like a, oh, so, a Yeah, like a little three bedroom. Like I have a bunch of low income rentals. And so a three, one thousand square foot, 600 a month. Oh my goodness oh. sakes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so that just shows you guys, you know, we're, we're you know, look, our, our average, you know, I'm like jealous of all you guys because our average sales price is like, $200,000. Our average commission's like six grand, you know? And then so I see you guys in California and in San Francisco, and I'm just like, you know, Jeannie's talking about $1.9 million houses. I'm just like- Over. She went 1.9 like, over. Oh, I'm coming. I'm coming to California, you know, over. Yeah. <laughs> so it's exciting to see, you know, this- Come on uh, out, Nick. You can work for me. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you don't know how many of my coaching clients, I'm like, I'm just going to retire and come work for you. Yeah. Yeah. Please yeah. do. I need help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's a it's it's a crazy market. What I would like to know from everyone, real quick, is where do you see the future coming? Like, where do you see right? Good when question. do you see when do you see inventory kind of opening up with inflation and interest rates going up? Because I'm sure you guys have been talking about it with your clients and other colleagues. Like, I want to know, like, what do you guys think the future looks like? Hmm. If I had a crystal ball, I'd say do something now if you're going to do it, because by the end of the year, it, it could be a whole different ball game. And you already, I already would say this. I mean, we're up about 8% since November in values, um, averaging about 20% or so the last few years. But I do feel some of that wind coming out of the sales. It, it does seem with uh, inflation, interest rates rising, it's, it's taking a few buyers off the table. So do something now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I read articles. I read articles where it said, you know, it will we'll get to four percent this year, and we're already at four point, you know, six or whatever. So it's kind of it's just kind of funny seeing, you know, when is you know when's it employment all numbers are looking good, but I think that it's the war has really destabilized a lot of the world economies. I know the pound is way down, the euro is still holding, but it's there's un, unrest. And when people are scared, they hold on to their money. When people feel everything is safe, they spend, spend, spend. And I hate to reduce it, to reduce it down to that, but when people feel worried about the world, they hold on to their money. And that's just a natural human thing to be, I don't know what the future is, I'm gonna wait. I think as far as the future goes, when I started in real estate, the interest rates came from 20% down to 19% that day. And everybody was jumping up and down in the office over that announcement. And I'm jumping up and down. And I asked the guy next to me, great, what am I jumping up and down? And what does this mean? 
<laughs> and it meant that the interest rates came down to 19 and I won $100 on a bet with my friends that it would go under 12%. He said it wouldn't. And I won the hundred bucks. I'm telling you when we were, I, I managed to get my house at, at um, 2.5 on a, on a loan. And, and yes, and it was a blessing and we hit it the day it dropped and two days later it went back up. But I, this is my theory and I'm sticking to it, but as everything goes in cycles and as the world turns, my mother-in-law, her interest rate was at, was at like 3.75% when she bought her house in 1946. And then it went all the way up to like 21% and then it came down, 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 down to where it's been in the last few years. So here we go into another big cycle. Imagine your clock and we're starting to see where these rates are starting to tick up, tick up, tick up, tick up. And they'll bounce around. I think that needle's gonna bounce around for a while this year. But I mean, we're already seeing it. There's rates that are going up into the into the fives pretty soon and for the jumbo loans. So here we go. And um, I, I think by the end of the year, we'll probably be close to 6%. And the sad part is you have all these buyers in the last 10, 12 years that they freak out when the interest rates are at 4% and it is still so traditionally low that mm -hmm. people don't understand what this translates into. So as long as people can still afford uh, to get, to make their payments, we should be okay. And I think a lot, there's not, it's not like in the 07, 08, 09, you know, all these adjustable rate loans were out there from the nineties that skyrocketed. I think nowadays more people have refinanced and are into fixed rate loans. So I don't really see that madness of short sales and foreclosures happening so much um, in the coming future as what we saw back then with the great recession. But I'm sure we're going to see some of it. And I okay. tell everybody just, you know, it's been a gravy train market for the last couple of years and everybody just thinks it's the train that's not going to stop. And I got news for you. There's nothing worse than sitting in an open house and nobody shows up. And that's shades of 1990 and 91. You could sit there and you're on the market for a year begging for anybody to even show up to look at your property, much less buy it. Wow. Well, on that note, thank you all for being here. I'm Honestly, so positive. This has been a great dialogue. It's been a whole day of great dialogues, but this one has been really good. So thank you for doing this. I'm probably going to mix people up in a quarter or two, and we'll do it again. And um, friend each other on Facebook. Get to know each other in the in the group. And thank you for your time today. Do we have a like an Excel spreadsheet with our information? Yeah, sure. <laughs> that would be put great. Put that together. Yeah, thank you. That Nick, would be Nick, work on that, Nick. Thank yeah. you all. It's really awesome. Thank you have Thanks. a good weekend. Can you find uh, everybody on Facebook? Bye, Imelda. I'll see you. Bye, everyone. This was Bye. great. Thank you.